Chiwetel Ejiofor. Actually, that's pretty close. I think. I, I think it's Chiwetel Ejiofor. Chiwetel. Chiwetel. Okay. I'm looking at I'm looking at Wikipedia, which gives you the. Oh, okay. I had written it in my summary, so I, I did have it written down here, but but it's not uh, how ch- to say it. Chew like a choo choo train. Uh huh. Chiwetel Ejiofor. Chiwetel Ejiofor. Yeah, okay, obviously. that's not a bad once you know it. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those where like you look at it, it's like what what how do you even like? Yeah, yeah, it's so beyond. I think, I think that'd be a good drinking game. See who can <laughs> say that correctly. What a night out that would be. <laughs> it's a very very not racist <laughs> drinking game. Yeah. Sometimes my friends and I like to get really drunk, and then we uh, we try to say the names of foreigners. <laughs> Well, when you say it like that, it sounds <laughs> it sounds uncouth. Shh. Welcome to a free podcast. I'm your co-host Rob, joined by my good friends Joe and Duff. Hello. Hey. We are continuing our fourth season um, talking about our dumb decade. Uh, <laughs> last episode was about 2000, uh, 2010. Uh, no one says 2010, right, when they say that title? Uh, that's, I guess some no, people do. I um, guess. Okay. I don't know. Today we are talking about the John Cusack film 2012 2012 i don't know the right way to say this i I, I say 2012 okay 2012 released in 2009 yeah so this isn't really that speculative well it (laughs) but it doesn't involve a lot of facts so we could still call it speculative yeah it does it does make predictions i guess (laughs) yeah (laughs) and uh i think that it i think it was really kind of one of the bigger stories of the decade like leading up to this for about a year, maybe a few years, it was talked about a lot. Really? The whole 2012 thing? Sure, not, not like seriously. Not the movie. No, <laughs> the, no, no, no. Yeah. The the end of the world thing. I but like people weren't really thinking it was going to be the end of the world. Well, some people were. I, I would say I would say it was discussed almost as much as Y2K. No uh, way. No, no way. No, not in a serious I mean, way, but it was brought up as much it, as a pop, just, as a pop culture thing. It was just an easy way to get clicks and ratings. Uh, people would be like, "It's 2012, and some people think it's gonna end December, then- the end of the yeah." I oh, like oh. how the Mayans thought ahead though, and they put it in December so you could spend the whole year talking about it. That was smart marketing, good branding by the Mayans. Mm, yeah, they know they know how to build up. <laughs> yeah, because if you just did like February, then like you know, forty days later, and that whole that whole it's idea the, is done. It's the winter solstice. They know marketing, but not making sure you have enough water. Mm, true. <laughs> that's we, that. That's a little little thing for the history buffs out You're there. You're more familiar with the downfall of the Mayan of uh, the Mayans than I am. Well, I went down there for some in-person research this past summer. So are you oh, Aguari? Okay. Are you Aguari? The Wrath of Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Was that in Mexico? Was that in my, uh, my country? No, that uh, was I thought that was in, in Central America. It was. It was, it was in the, South America. The New Ra- World. <laughs> racist. It was in the Amazon, so which is not in Central America. Duff is canceled. <laughs> Duff by. Uh, okay, so twenty twelve. So okay, saying, let's yeah, let's dig it right in. So you don't really think people talked about it? A lot? I thought it not was seriously. It no, was I like never meant seriously, but it was it was mentioned a lot. I remember it being mentioned a ton. Yeah. I wasn't on the internet in 2012. Oh well, you were down in you were down in your bunker getting ready, so you probably didn't yeah. really hear the discourse. He, he was busy canning. <laughs> he, he was just just sucking down uh, uh, brain pills and uh, canning and mm-hmm. practicing with your AR-15. So, so here's a question, and I, I don't I honestly don't remember this part. What did the Mayans say? What would happen? No, the end of it's the world? all complete nonsense. So just, just so, one of their calendars ends. You know when your calendar ends? December thirty first. Buy a new. <laughs> then calendar. what do you do? Buy a new you, calendar. Yeah, you start the next one. They have calendars after the one that ends in twenty twelve. Okay, I was just curious if it was like you know, 
Is there a rapture? Does the earth just explode? Well, Uh, okay, so let's get into the theory. So it it just so happens that it ends, quote-unquote, on December 21st, which is the the winter solstice, solstice. Mm -hmm. which would be a natural end date for a calendar, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Like if or you were calendars, not an American calendar. True. So <laughs> Gregorian or get the F out. Yeah. So they're, they're it's all an American calendar, Duff. My favorite brand of uh, debunking sites is the beleaguered like science, like scientific organization website that has to lower itself to addressing a conspiracy theory like this. So I went straight to the biggest nerds of all NASA and they have a whole Q&A about why this is all nonsense, and I read it to myself in the voice of Ed Harris. <laughs> so, I'm, it, so I'm looking at him in his vest, and he has his head in his hands, and he's patiently explaining why this is nonsense. So let me. my favorite idea for what people think would actually happen on 21st of uh, December 2012 is that Nibiru, a planet, Nabisco uh, would crash Nibiru. Naboo? <laughs> Naboo <laughs> would crash into Misa the Misa interested. <laughs> so the <laughs> I I think that would probably be the coolest way for the world to end. And I was going to talk about this later, but could, we could talk about it now. Is a, a planet crashing into the earth the coolest way for the world to end? That's pretty boss. I, I mean, if, it's if cool we gotta because go. It's cool because it's like the one ending that we can't blame ourselves for. <laughs> Where we're yeah. like, oh, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, well, Them the breaks. Yeah. Ben Affleck's busy. We can't send him up to that planet. Yeah, yep. just a giant ass moon or something just slams right into us. Yeah, that what would can, be sweet. What are you going to do? I want it, yeah, so like big enough, and but also slow moving enough where we can kind of see it coming and getting bigger and bigger. Like a train. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So the... Uh, so NASA has this little Q&A. It's, an, it's one of the first Google results, uh, conveniently, for me, when you try to Google the 2012 phenomenon. But basically, the, the idea was that this Maya calendar that people examined ends in December 21st, 2012. But there's absolute, it's just absolute hokum, of course. We know that because it's 2019 now. <laughs> and... This whole phenomenon, which which I insist people were talking about a great deal, uh, is based on the fact that they basically went to a Walgreens and grabbed a calendar and said, like, oh, wow, this has an end date of December 31st. That must be when the world ends. It's like if I kept a journal and then just got tired of it, but you found the journal. It's like, oh, he must be dead. <laughs> yeah, you stopped doing entries. It's like, or, no. or, or I just didn't see where you stored your next one. Yeah. Like you you wrote till the last page and volume 1 was complete. Yeah. <laughs> so the um one of the big proponents of this uh was Graham Hancock. This guy's a real character, our kind of guy. Um so just a little background information to my knowledge and I di- I admit not doing a lot of research on this, but to my knowledge Graham Hancock is the only person to have a TED vi- TED Talk video Banned from the TED Talk website. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was hoping this would be something like he's the only person with a TED Talk video with less than ten views. <laughs> just, or it was like no a one's TED, seen it. Or it was like a TED Talk on eugenics or something, and he's got the little Bluetooth thing, and there's a crowd just like, oh yeah, that sounds good. So he did one on like kind of unconsciousness and stuff. Basically, the function of it is advocating for DMT. So. And so many people complain. It was a TEDx talk. I sh- I should make clear. TEDx. So it's not, yeah, TEDx. Stream X TED. Is that what you got to pay for? Yeah, that's uh, the one that Tony Hawk started. That's the and... one where you do it without any clothes. <laughs> uh, X-rated TED talks. Is is it a unicorn? God, can you just imagine having that stupid little microphone they wear and then nothing else? <laughs> no clothes. They staple the little pack to to the your, the small of your back to, to operate taped. the microphone. It's it's Midnight Boys uh, lore that TED Talks are utterly stupid. Right? I hate them more than anything. I was one time I had a meeting at work. My oh uh, no, not my, not okay, my okay. What percentage of TED Talks are viewed at a meeting? Oh my god, oh, yeah. If man. if you I've ever like, let me. I wanted you guys to all see this TED Talk. I'm okay, just, he's, I just. He's going to talk about how it's important to breathe. Yep. 
or or like you know important of he's, collaboration and he's gonna work. tell you some common sense but take 45 minutes to do so yeah <laughs> I, i'm guessing uh, probably 75 maybe 80 percent of ted talks were were viewed by a captive uh, uh ho- t- taken hostage audience at a business meeting what yeah. percentage of ted talk links that have been emailed out have actually been viewed <laughs> <laughs> well more than the first five seconds of them maybe they yeah. didn't look closely at the link <laughs> Ted Are talk. they still happening? Oh yeah, they're a huge business. Still? Well, think of how many dumb middle managers there are. <laughs> <laughs> like that used to be a thing that I would have to show, like in a like kind of a mandated college prep lesson or something like that. They would make us show those things once in a while. But I it's mean, been years since they made I, us do that. They're still all over, like suggested YouTube things. Like you'll Ugh. get, you'll get, or just clickbait. It's well. <laughs> It's like someone, you know, 20 years ago, someone was in an office staring at one of those motivational posters and, and thought, what if this was live and really long? <laughs> <laughs> well, he um, he was banned for truth from Ted's <laughs> science board. <laughs> and he uh, uh, his if you want to try to find his lecture, I, I would if I, it is censored. So I hope you can all find it. But he wrote uh, his lecture is called the war on consciousness and uh he pr- described his use of ayahuasca which is an uh amazonian like brew thing I'm, I'm reading from the wikipedia page and it contains dmt and that's uh a, a key to self-improvement and spiritual growth and a lot of people got really mad about it about his claims in it and the ted's science board uh banned it banned for truth and, and what does this have to do with 2012 well, he wrote the book that the movie was that oh, inspired okay. the movie. Okay. So All he right. wrote a book called um, "Fingerprints of the Gods." So he and, wrote a book where the hero of the book is a. No, uh, he he. It was it was not a fictional book. It was a book about the 2012 oh, phenomenon. Okay, so okay. Roland Emmerich read that book, and he kind of based all, all the stuff that happens. Uh, and and he learned about Earth's Earth's crust displacement theory from fingerprint of the gods. Okay, okay, I got it now. All so he so he's his main main claim to fame is writing books about stuff like that. And I just thought it was funny that he got banned for truth from TED Talks. Wow. So that kind of launches us into that movie. I I can't really say much more about the 2012 phenomenon because it. I mean, basically, all you have to do is. Say, hey, the world's going to end, pick a date, pick a year, and base it on some kind of ancient civilization, and 10,000 people are going to post online about it a lot, right? And just make sure it happens later in the year. That's my only <laughs> my only marketing recommendation. You are our marketing, uh, uh, the head of our marketing department, so I'll yep. trust you on that. Uh, are you, so, uh, once again, similar to 2010, you do not have to have seen this movie for us to talk about it, but... <laughs> Uh, watch I'm the going... first hour of it yeah yeah and that's what that's what you should spend most of the time with your summary here okay all right here's my summary this guys this one was a tough one all right it all is right. a long movie it is a long movie how long uh, was it exactly duff you sent me a letterbox review what what was it again that that the letterbox review uh, that someone wrote it, it was a one sentence <laughs> review that said something to the effect of I hope when the world actually ends, it takes less time. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. So the film starts in 2009, and we follow yeah. Ad- Adrian, uh, who is uh, Duff. Help me on this again. Chuatel, played by Chuatel. Chuatel, a Geo Four. Geo Four. He Good learns. Actor. That- Good yeah. actor. Oh, absolutely. You're going to hear that a lot from us in yeah. talking about this movie. He learns from his friend in India that solar flares are causing the temperature of the Earth's core to increase. So Adrian gets in touch with the White House Chief of Staff, played by Oliver Platt, and then goes all the way up to the president, played by Danny Glover. Awesome. Uh, they start so making think continue- about this. Already, just pause here. This yep. dumb movie got those three guys to be in it. Yeah, it's got a stacked cast. Awesome. I hope don't Danny Glover made a lot of money because he seems like a great guy. So they start making contingency plans for Earth. And the contingency plan is to choose people to board the arcs, also to choose like pieces of art that we'd want in there, and construct these arcs in Tibet and fund it by selling tickets f- per person for a billion dollars. 
yeah and, and to kill anyone who might tell no matter uh, how so, yes that's that's now i don't know if that's like a worldwide thing or if that is our 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 antagonist the white house chief of staff's idea i think it's a worldwide thing okay. you're not going to believe what sort of art is showcased in this uh in these scenes where they talk about the most important stuff white people art yep that's true <laughs> yeah. that's true um so meanwhile we watch as Jackson Curtis, played by John Cusack, uh, is a struggling, divorced sci-fi writer living in L.A. He takes his kids to, to the Yellowstone National Park, and there he meets Charlie Frost, played that by Woody Harrelson. That is a long drive, by the way. Yeah. No- <laughs> the, I know. I'm with you on that. That is not like, why don't I just take him to Yellowstone for the weekend? That, <laughs> yeah, from that, Los Angeles. That is a third of the way across the country. <laughs> it's probably, what, like a nine, ten hour drive? It's quite, least, yeah. quite a way. Yeah, I would say probably ten to twelve. You cross a time zone. <laughs> There's no way um, for us to find out. So No, no way. Uh, so he meets Charlie Frost, who is a crazy conspiracy theorist who lives in Yellowstone and broadcasts his own <laughs> Somehow, radio show. Yes. And played by Woody Harrelson. The Woodman. Will you guys agree, by far the best part of this movie? Uh, oh, he He's having the most fun. Yeah, yeah he's having well, the and most this movie fun. Sh- and this movie should, is, should be fun. Well, uh, uh, someone should tell the movie that. Um, <laughs> uh, just to go back, it is a 15-hour drive from L.A. to Yellowstone. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm getting 16 on my, on my. <laughs> I mean, Yellowstone so, is big, so yeah. True, yeah. So, <laughs> Jackson and his kids return home in time for a massive earthquake in L.A. Jackson, his kids, and his ex-wife, played by the lovely Amanda Peet, and her now husband escape L.A. and fly to Yellowstone. Would you say this is an escape from L.A.? Uh, Ooh, I like that. Uh, in Yellowstone, the same thing essentially happens again, <laughs> but not before Jackson gets a map from Charlie, who is killed in the destruction of Yellowstone. So he they- drives... All the way up to Yellowstone, then drives all the way back. Then they then they all... get in a plane and take off from like a. How many times? Okay, so there's if you are into planes taking off as the runway crumbles underneath, I yeah. swear it happens fifteen times. It, in this it movie. feels like oh. it, it feels like the entirety of the movie is planes it's, barely taking off. It's about to happen again because they fly to Las Vegas and barely escape Las Vegas once again in the same scene we saw in L.A. and in Yellowstone. But now it's in Las Vegas. They fly to China. At this point, I'm officially bored. So there's a long journey. Well, well, and... you you omitted one of my favorite characters, the uh, Russian billionaire, the, the Russian. Yes, yes. The, this Russian billionaire. <laughs> there's the... a Russian billionaire who Jackson is a limo driver for now in L.A. They run into him in Las Vegas. Him and, and his. The... Tr- his trophy wife and his two like Andre the Giant looking kids. <laughs> yes, <laughs> his his large lads, big sons, his proud sons. Um, at this point, like I said, I'm bored. There's I, a yeah, long I checked journey. Out at this point, there's a yeah, big I, boat. I'm on my phone now. I, yeah, <laughs> D- Duff, Duff, send us a uh, a very legal version of this movie. <laughs> That didn't. That somehow was missing the subtitles, which I would have assumed would have been burned in. Listen, I had the subtitles, and I told you what they said, and I wasn't kidding. Uh, I thought you were joking. (laughs) No, No. it's it's something about how uh, wisdom is. There's there's Tibetan monks, and a guy is asking questions, and like the head monk just keeps filling his coffee cup up or teacup, and the guy's like, "That's enough. That's that's it. That's it. Enough." And then he's like. He's like this. Uh, you are a lot like this cup, overflowing with opinions. And I'm like, oh my god. Oh, thanks, Tibetan monk. And then he yeah, gives him so, the key to the truck. So, uh, so yeah, they the the Jackson and Jackson and the I don't know. Is there five of them? The Jackson Five. They uh, end up in Tibet. <laughs> yeah, there's five of them. Uh, step, uh, stepdad gets crushed by some gears. Yeah. So then, yeah, can, can you should let's oh. okay. You are. I'm. I know. I know. So we owe me, it to I'm, them. Why are they there? That is where, like, th- so what they've that's done the is they've done. That's the map they got from Charlie. Yeah, and, uh, and and so all the billionaire ticket is to a giant is to like arcs. Yes, which and they all they built. are they are in the Himalayas, like Noah's yep. Ark, but steel. <laughs> yeah, so they're all all converging into the Himalayas to 
board these arcs. All the countries. All, all of the privileged people. And then yes. the poors have found out about it too, though. Yes. There's so a big, There's a big moral debate, and uh, Chuatel let... uh, convinces everyone to let the poors on the arc. Uh, this, there's like 800 more near-death things, it feels like. and yeah. The important thing you need to know is that this movie has a climactic scene with Jackson, once again, played by John Cusack, saving humanity because something was stuck in a door and he got it unstuck. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> and that is like that is like a 15 to 25 minute scene of like, there's something stuck in the door and the gate won't shut. Um, then the movie ends because we fast forward to 27 days later. And although billions of people have died and the earth completely reshaped, everything is fine because our hero found love. Who doesn't like a fresh start? Yeah. <laughs> and now uh, Africa is the place to go because it was elevated by like a thousand feet or something. Yeah, like that. the Cape of Good Hope. Weird, huh, guys? Aptly the, named. Uh, is where they end up at. Um, I, now, you, I, I've been listening to the summary. I understand that it makes no sense, and, and it's fine. You don't need to know. This movie's dumb. Yeah, this movie has a tone issue in my mind. Uh, in that, like, I don't know what it is. Like, you have Woody Harrelson playing a crazy uh, conspiracy theorist, conspiracy theorist, and really he's hamming fun. it up. He, he, yeah, that's yeah, what then, the whole movie should be. But then you have Danny Glover as the president in whiteface once all the ash lands on him. <laughs> like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Doing like all like everything is very serious. Yeah, it he's very like trying serious. to be like the Independence Day president, but even more with even more gravitas. And and it's all I just don't I in general, like I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna go this far. But like I get it, Independence Day was fun. We all enjoyed that. But like who who's Roland Emmerich for anymore? Who wants to see this stuff? We saw. I don't know if both of you went with me or just one of you. I went with you. Yeah, we saw. What was it? The day after, after tomorrow, to, where the they run from tomorrow. the cold at one point. <laughs> and wolves. Yes, he, and wolves. It's just for people who want to go to the movie theater and see a big special effects spectacle and not have to think that much. Which, but doesn't here's, it make here's you here's think? Here's the thing. Here's that's the thing. fine. That is that is me. But the thing is, number one, just realize that have some friggin' fun and two why is this so long yes yeah. but this and i mean it's not even i mean obviously we've delved into movies that are long this movie feels longer than any movie i've ever seen like it, <laughs> when, when they get on the boat it is unwatchable oh, yeah. it like, is so boring you're done. I, you're done then i was texting along to rob and i said something to the effect of you know if this movie is an hour like if you cut out an hour it would be a pretty fun movie. And then you get to the third act. I'm like, oh, never mind. This is terrible. This is like the entire, like once they get to China, you're just like, oh, just going through the GD. Want motions. me to fix the movie right now? I'll fix it. Just make it like an Indiana Jones style adventure movie. And there's this rich secret society that has a spaceship or a, a giant boat or whatever. And they just hop around from like, cool location to cool location on the earth because for some reason they have the means to do it and we see all these different sorts of catastrophes affecting different climates and areas of the earth but instead like over and over again all they can do is there's big tidal waves and then the crust like melts into the earth and fireballs come out like they could have done things with avalanches but uh, here's my issue with these movies and this is this is this is where I, I I wonder how much criticism I'll take from you guys but like in a post 9/11 world, do we really want to watch this still? Like do we really want to see like what if thousands to millions of people died from this? Like after we talk yeah. about 2012 in Haiti, like what if we just watched it happen? Like I don't know, I just did in 2012 so, and it wasn't cool. Yeah, but I mean I, I hear here's it, it's I'm it's not... a dystopian thing. Like th there's a there's a huge I mean like zombie movies are the same thing. Yeah, but but like to me a different is zombie movies like I can watch a zombie movie because as far as I know we're we've had zero zombie attacks in the world so far. Yeah. Well we've had zero earth crust displacement attacks too. Well yeah, but I mean like an earthquake happening in like a major area has happened before. So I oh, all right. So I, so I, 
I will. But, give... but okay, did you have a problem with Twister? Because we had we had tornadoes before that too. Yeah, I mean, I don't like. I, I have. A, I don't have any issue. With Twister, so, okay, so all right. I, feel, I, I don't actually... feel anything about Twister. I, I don't care I, about Twister. I don't even well, know. I don't her. either. No one does. But I. I, and I don't <laughs> disagree with you totally. I think I see what you mean because there is a scene where they're escaping from L.A. and we see just skyscrapers like plummeting into yeah. the ocean and stuff. And I was just thinking, like, we're watching this. And I was like, li- literally millions of people are dying. And actually, I think I, I wrote down this quote in my notes. They they do at some point before TVs totally stop working, they mention that there's been 2 million deaths worldwide, or 2 million deaths after all this. And I was like, worldwide. 2 million people died in L.A. <laughs> so they say there's a death toll of 2 million after L.A. basically completely fell into the sea and Rio de Janeiro had two 8 plus, 8.0 plus on the Richter scale earthquakes. Like yeah. those three events alone would kill many millions more. Yep. I do. And then we know all this stuff was happening in all these other places. And I do agree with you. Like it is, and I am not super sensitive to this kind of thing. But I was watching that. I was like, oh, a lot of people are dying right now, and this is kind of playing it up. And and it's I like guess this that's little my, family adventure. I guess that's my issue. Is the tone is so weird because like it's like on one hand it's meant to be like, hey, how funny is it when the donut rolls around in L.A. from the you know what I mean? Look yeah. how silly Charlie is. On the other hand, we're supposed to like take seriously when people are like on the phone with like their, you know, with their yeah. son as their son dies in a disaster, and I'm just like, what so, is this? I do yeah, think that true. Roland Emmerich, on the whole, uh, sucks. Uh, I, I mean, he does not make good movies on the whole, but I think that he, his heart is in the right place. As weird as that might sound, in that, that sound weird. Well, he, I th- <laughs> I think he's I think he's I think he's very very dumb, <laughs> but uh-huh. but. I think that this these movies do a better job like actually communicating kind of a pathos than stuff like Transformers or like Man of Steel cuz like those are like and I do I agree to that you know it's just kind of like disaster porn and it's like oh mm-hmm. that that building fell over and there's probably like 20,000 people in it but I do think that when he adds in as ham-fisted and dumb as they are those scenes of like uh george siegel on the phone or something like it's at least a little more resonant than again like i'm thinking of those dumb transformers movies or something like that where it's just total cgi mess and there's never any kind of gravity to it at all and, and if well, we so look I at think this that's as, what you have to go ahead joe and I agree that this movie is incredibly tonally inconsistent. Yeah, it definitely is. But I, I, I think I agree with both of you to some extent because there's some brains in here, and I don't know if it's from the screenwriter or the director. But it does like there are things about it that's like, well, this probably is how it would play out. So if this was to actually be true, and and I and then this way, I think we could view this as like a climate change allegory, right? Yeah, it could if, have been. If, 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 yeah, and well, of course. I, I don't mean like we should give it that much credit, but I think gotcha. there's elements of it that that were like, yeah, this is how it would go. Who who is safe from climate change? The wealthy, the influential, and the powerful, and who will be left behind and left off the boat? Everyone else. Mm-hmm. And the movie's very very explicit. Like, hey, this is literally how it's going to be. Left off the boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean that ex- literally. So the, yeah, I think that it does kind of in a of in a, uh, a kind of blunt way show exactly how this would work if this actually happened and i and i tend to i i absolutely think that's how it would work it, if you're a billionaire or influential or special in some way you'll get on the arc everyone else i hope you can swim <laughs> So yeah, for I, 27 days. Hopefully. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is a theme across all of Roland Emmerich's movies, I think, that I think Roland Emmerich is, he, I will call him kind of like blunt force liberal in that he just kind of like absorbs, like he sees the homepage of Huffing, Huffington Post or something. Because <laughs> there's such clumsy blunt things like with the Arnold Schwarzenegger stand in. Yeah, they couldn't they 
could have got just Arnold to do it. Well, I guess it was supposed to be a stand-in, though, right? That was the point. Uh, maybe. Oh, I, don't I don't know. know. I didn't realize it was a stand-in. Yeah, well, the, the character says, like, that's an actor. When things oh, get really okay. bad, that, that then they hire actors to tell us everything's fine, which is okay. exactly how so, it goes. So, like, Roland Emmerich's like, ha-ha, see? See how ridiculous it is when we elect movie stars to be our governor? And it's like, uh, I, yeah, what does that have to do with anything else in here? <laughs> it's just yeah. so awkward. And, and like, reading about him, he seems like a good enough dude in real life. Um, it's just... I don't know. It's like, the, you know, this might be, maybe this is his worst movie. I don't know. I haven't seen White House Down or 10,000 BC. Uh, I can't imagine this is like, <laughs> I got to imagine this one's better than that. Cause I, I was actually thought it was kind of fun for like the first 45 minutes or so. I agree. But then it, it kind of yeah. like the changed those movies, those movies look terrible just from start to finish. Uh, I remember White House Down being fun. I don't, White House okay. Down should be about the, uh, Lewinsky stuff. Oh. <laughs> Jay Leno over here. God, Unbutton your denim one more button. <laughs> um, I didn't see, what was it, B- 10,000 BC? Did anyone yeah. ever- Remind me what that was about again. <laughs> I, I don't know. Was it sounds the- like a, it sounds like an, a, a, a dinosaur uh, movie Far or? Cry game. <laughs> it, it sounds like Quest for Fire. Uh, it has no one I know in it. Literally, I just looked at who's starring. I know none of these people. All right. Uh, my other but favorite But Omar thing... Sharif did narrate it. Oh. oh, was that his last movie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. My other favorite thing about Roland Emmerich is that uh, after a string of movies like this, he's like, I'm going to uh, direct a movie about uh, Stonewall. <laughs> yeah, did anyone see that? No. Okay. Well, it, uh, yeah. Can I can I ask a question about? I have one question from the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was thinking about when I was watching it, and that is when they're in Yellowstone the second time, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jackson is going to go meet up with Charlie to get this map. Right? You should to say who Jackson and Charlie are, because I don't think we Jackson really got is into that. is John Cusack, and Charlie is Woody Harrelson. So okay, John yeah. Cusack needs to get a map from Woody Harrelson. And, to find uh, where the arc is or whatever, right? Where the arc is, yep. And so uh, Jack's, uh, John Cusack's daughter wants to come with them. And <laughs> he's like, yeah, sure. Which, yeah. okay, if you have a critically time-sensitive, critical thing to do, it doesn't make sense to take your nine-year-old with you, right? He wouldn't have found, he wouldn't have found him without her, though, because she saw the fireworks. Or did he take her with him? So that they won't leave him behind. Mm. I don't think this. Because... I, I don't think anyone in this movie is smart enough for that. But I like where your mind. <laughs> I like where going. you're going. I like that a lot. Yeah. Like, like divorced yes. dad is with his ex-wife and her husband, and their her his son who doesn't like him likes that, the the th- new dad instead. It's a good stepdad. insurance policy. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, you come with me. And then that's why they wait for him. Otherwise, like, he forgets yeah. the map and runs back to it. I'd be like, forget this guy. Let's not wait for this loser. He probably left one of his nerdy science fiction books behind and he wants to go get it. <laughs> yeah, it's a signed copy of A Brave New World. Yep. So, um, yeah, that's, I think, can we segue that into my, yeah, that's a good, to how I categorize this? Yeah. Okay. So as I was watching it, um, I just realized, like, why is it, especially in this century, just every movie like this is just a divorced dad with his kids reluctantly joining him for a weekend, and then the world ends, or some terrible thing happens. And uh, I coined this and I've shared it with two people, and neither one laughed. I'm going to stick with it because I insist that it's funny. And I'm calling this the Zero's Journey. <laughs> okay. All right. So you made this up. Okay, that makes me happy because you mentioned this and I Googled it and all I could find were like comic books about Nightmare Before Christmas. And I was <laughs> like, I was Cause like, the, I. Because <laughs> the dog is named Zero. Oh. Yeah. So yes. A, no, I, I just was like, I was just like, what, how can we, what can we call this sort of storytelling device? And uh, I was like, well, I'm, uh, it's the Zero's journey. So the Zero's journey is the fever dream of every bad dad in some yeah. like rundown trailer park who have to exactly so like i just think this is the ultimate divorced dad 
divorce loser dad dream is like just wait till the wait till the the s hits the fan then i'll show them that they need me and i i the first two movies i could think of well the other the first movie i thought of other than this one was tom cruise and war of the worlds and i i like these as a pair for two reasons one these two guys are not particularly convincing as (laughs) just like the down on his luck loser divorced dad john Mm -hmm. cusack is better at it but they're neither one of them does it really work? Yeah, because when when you think longshoreman, you think uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I just think like really this does model the hero's journey, but from the perspective of a man in his mid forties whose family hates him, and some horrible event that he's reluctant to really dive into occurs, and in that he he reluctantly crosses the threshold. If we're going to use hero's journey language. And he sort of wins, to some degree, wins back his family, or at least wins back their respect. Now, in this movie, it's hilarious because the new dad dies. The new dad is ground up by gears. Yeah. Yeah. He got stuck in a door. Like, I was wondering if you guys could think of any other films like this, because it seems like there's been a lot. And I'm wondering if this is just because, like, every just hack Hollywood screenwriter is just a divorced dad. And this is their fever dreams. Like, so it has to Earth's... be a dad in this. Well, it doesn't have to be a dad, but it just—I think it works better because divorced dads are more pathetic. Whereas it's... in movies, divorced moms, it tends to be just kind of more sad. Yeah, divorced I mean, dad. Like they—they they tend to not make the divorced mom like the hero who saves the day. The divorced mom is usually the one who has to do all the work, and the divor- yeah, the divorced dad is the guy who's like living in like the big Lebowski's apartment, just. <laughs> ruminating and like yeah I'll, just, I'll just waiting all. for zombies to come for an asteroid to be heading towards earth just something that will give them their chance to finally prove to their ex-wife or and their kids that they're a good dad uh so you know the, okay. this this is uh this is a roland emmerich hallmark because yeah. there's a uh, in the day after tomorrow dennis quaid is uh i believe he's a estranged father and he has to go rescue of his son, played by Randy Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> Someone recut that movie to be that. Um, yeah, I came up with a short. I came up with a short list. Uh, so I had. Uh, I also had White House Down um, because I Which, did. Re- I did okay. remember that that's the one with Channing Tatum, and Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum is. Uh, a separated dad and his thing is like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna become a secret service agent i'm gonna get together and i'll show her and then he like gets a job uh is like first day or something on the job is when um chaos erupts uh at the white house uh, all i remember that really well from that movie is james woods basically plays himself as the, <laughs> most, the most evil person imaginable okay um but yeah, here's some more um armageddon has uh yeah uh there's one guy in there who literally like shows up at his kid's house before he goes into space it's like i just wanted to see him one more time okay um i i broadened this category a little too i have written down bad dad slash divorced dad slash disgraced dad and i think that it can also be um i put uh noah with Russell Crowe on the list. <laughs> that's good. I like that. Uh, that's good. Uh, I included uh, Would Signs Count? Where Mel, yes. Gib- Mel Gibson is just kind of the bitter, crusty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, not, not like he's at no point is he really a loser, though, but I will, I'll say it is a cousin of this. Yeah. It, uh, another Mel Gibson movie is The Patriot. Which I I write I put in parentheses, pussy widower dad. <laughs> I've never seen that. Uh, I saw it. I saw it when it came out in theaters. Yeah. Uh, the crux of that movie is that he's a widower. His his sons want him to fight in the revolution, but he doesn't because he's a pacifist. Yeah. Pussy. But then one of his kids gets killed, and then he's out for bloodlust. So it's okay. it's a it's a redemptive arc of uh, a de facto divorced dad. Huh. All right. So I didn't go the divorced dad thing. I went just like losers who became heroes. Yeah, that's all right. And and so I eliminated any movie where the zero 
seems like a zero but was actually born into it so like luke skywalker or harry potter or any of that stuff where it's like oh anyway well, those are it. true heroes journeys like th- this yeah uh, but, I, I mean, my point is, like, they seem like, at the beginning, you're like, oh, this is just anyone. But you're like, oh, it's not anybody. It's someone yeah. special. Uh, I also removed anyone that has superpowers. So, like, Spider-Man, right, is kind of a loser who becomes a hero. Uh, I'm also not going to count sports yeah. movies, which would be Rocky. Yeah. that the, No, those are just true heroes' journeys, too. Like, same with oh, Spider-Man. Okay. Like, you know, like... Like every every hero's journey movie is about somebody who's kind of an outsider, and then they have to engage in some kind of challenge. You know, and, what about Shaun of the Dead? Person. He's kind of a loser. Yeah, I think that's I, similar. I, it's similar. I just I just think that there's this unique that this divorced dad thing just seems ever present. It's kind of unique, but Shaun of the Dead is definitely close. What about American Beauty? <laughs> oh. Ooh. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. So I mean, that's I, a bad dad. I, so actually, I I think that that counts because it is um, a repulsive dad who mm-hmm. we are supposed to root for uh, as he, let's say, does good things. <laughs> <laughs> he works out. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't remember that movie like the specifics of it very well. And I don't care to. Uh, it is a trash, trash fire of a movie. It, it yeah. is a movie that there was a time in my life that I loved it, and I kind of refuse to revisit it because I don't want to not like it again. Does that we make are, sense? You don't, you don't want to be. You don't want to be embarrassed that you used to like it. Well, yeah, it's like I and, really. And well, we, yeah, hey, we, I, I, I'm, I've got movies like that too. We were sure. eight. We were like seventeen, eighteen. So it's not. This is that. one of the first DVDs I owned. I really enjoyed it. It, it was like. You know, for me, when I saw it, it was like one of the first movies where I was like, oh, that's a really interesting movie. Um, but when I think back on it, I'm like, ooh, there's some issues. It's a, it's a movie. There's some issues it's, in there. It's a movie that uh, that teenagers think is deep. Like, I, I'm i not even yeah. saying that in a snide way. Like, I, I know lots of I liked I loved it at the time. Lots of people I know loved it. But then you like, you know, especially in like the post me too climate yeah as you like the like the climactic scene where you're supposed to like really sympathize is that the character is about to have sex with his daughter's friend as like annie lennox plays yeah and and he's like got the shirt buttoned open and he's like oh i can't do this and that's that you're supposed to be like oh what a good dude (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah way to resist yeah So, so i just i just have like I just don't have a whole lot of patience for these movies that ask us to spend all this time with guys that are in their forties or, or older maybe, and they've ruined a marriage. They've traumatized their kids through their own immaturity, immaturity and all that. And then like this crisis occurs and now, now all of a sudden something totally divorced from everyday life occurs. And then now they're able to pull their families out of it. It's, but like that doesn't really prove anything because like marriage and parenthood is about being good at every day. It's like know? a it's it's like kind of the boomers version of the deathbed forgiveness, right? Yeah, where you yeah. have like the dad who was terrible, and then at the end he's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I've always loved you, you know." And you're like, "Well, that's easy. You were just selfish for 75 years, and now you're like, sorry." It's probably it's probably yeah. a reflex to kind of to go off what rob said that it's kind of like it's a moratorium for that kind of like old school action hero like you know bronson and schwarzenegger and stallone and that kind of fell out of favor and that's when all these kind of disaster movies with loser dads popped up in the last 20 years is die hard the bridge between those two yeah so i think it's a loser husband and and but he he is kind of an action he is you know played by an action hero guy and, and a handsome yep. dude who's tough and everything and he's he is just kind of doing what his job is to save the day so it's not outside of what he's good at but yeah that might be a good, yeah. good transition film so i i thought it too uh, let me pitch two zeros journeys at, at you i'm going to start with the one that's I'll close with one that's a better fit. This one's a less perfect one, but I I, I like it. Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh. <laughs> ah, I was I almost brought that up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a now good one. No, no. There's no sort of like outside 
intervention that sort of changes everything. Well, his his brother gets them all gussied up. <laughs> yeah, but I just thought it's kind of a funny example of the film that turns the divorced dad into a hero, even though yeah. his behavior is entirely inappropriate. Make, making us identify with an utter loser. Yeah, and I, I guess that's the foundation of what Listen, I Listen, he's like against about. smoking. Yeah, yeah. That's like that's like the one redeeming quality we meet about about him early on is he's like, listen, he doesn't want to do the smoking thing with the cartoon. Well, and he's got that early nineties attitude about refusing to sell out. Yeah. Which yeah. I appreciate yep. too. Here's a better one. And we as far as I know, the Midnight Police have never brought this film up, but I know we've brought Mrs. Duffire up. Yes. The Santa Claus. Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a divorced dad right there. Yep. Uh, I don't know if both of you have seen it or neither of you I've, have seen it. I've, I've only seen the first one, and it was many moon ago. So I've seen, like, this was probably like a year or two ago. I saw the first half of it on cable for the first time, and it was pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah, so just it, something. Uh, it's, th- it's, it's a clever title. I'll give it that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So something I, uh, listeners, uh, hit, hit us back with some more examples of this, but it just I didn't really think about it. Or it didn't really come together for me until I watched this movie about just how many films are clearly like sort of the the cathartic exercise from screenwriters in trying to turn the, themselves into heroes and get back at their ex-wives and get their kids to love them. Anything more you to know, say like on that? The, or, uh, well, also, like, I think what is interesting is what often happens and happens in this movie and actually doesn't happen in Mrs. Doubtfire, which I appreciate, is... In this movie, he gets back with his yeah, ex-wife. Absolutely and that's nonsense. Gross. Yeah, and, I agree. And, and like you know, it helps when most of the world's been killed. Uh, yeah. To kind of like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, narrow down the competition. <laughs> but like you know, the right way to do that would be like the divorced dad should be like, "I made mistakes. I'm going to be a better father now, and I'm going to find someone else." that I can be my best self with. Like that yeah. would be like growth. Or, That's how growth happens. Yeah. Or yeah, definitely. Or the stepdad lives and the real dad sacrifices himself because he's you like go. that yeah. that's it's uh, like I'll know, get this door shut. He's like, "Look, I'm tired of being such a such an f up. I'm here's what I'm going to do for you." So it's kind of like the, you know, saving private Ryan thing, earn this. Yeah. I like that. But yeah, I will it, say what what is interesting about 2012 is that both dads are are pure betas. We got a science fiction writer and then uh, this other dweeb, boob doctor. Yeah. Boob doctor. He says uh, he says he has some line which I actually thought was funny about like that beautiful women pay him thousands of dollars to handle their breasts. I'm like that's I mean listen that's pretty good, you know that is true. Yeah. All right, music time. So um, time. <clears throat> this is the people little, love little, this content. A little <laughs> fun thing happens at the end when the credits roll. Yeah. If, if, so you're, this is, if you're still awake <laughs> and yes, if you've yeah. made it this far. So if and, you didn't take too many edibles before you saw this and you're awake yeah, for the credits. Once, once your partner uh, rouses you or, <laughs> or a plunges in a, a needle into your chest. If your ex-wife is angrily calling and asking why you haven't dropped off the kids yet, mm-hmm. and you're explaining <laughs> so you didn't I know the movie was, was that long. Two hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the credits uh, kick in, and we get Duff's favorite content. Duff, for new listeners, tell them what's your favorite thing. When you get a big, over-the-top, sugary power ballad. <laughs> yes. But I un- couldn't. I was so excited when I saw this movie had one because it is so rare in this decade. Yeah, and first of all, this song is. It, it's pretty bland. Like yeah. it, there's not, there's, it doesn't stand out that much. And honestly, I do feel like guys by the end, the third act of this movie, I was so just like, and I'd seen this movie. I'm just like, Jesus, what, how much more it, it felt so long. And then I couldn't even like, I listened to the song again today, but when it, when the credits came, I'm just like, Oh, done with this. But I did think about it. And I went back and yeah, this is kind of the last gasp of the let's have a soundtrack song tied into the movie that, which is really um, 
also ties into the uh, divorced dad. <laughs> uh, well, t- tell tell us a little bit about. Do, do you know the the singer, the song title? Well, I mean, it's, it's not uh, a hit. It's not a hit. Uh, it's well, no, it kind of. It's not a big hit, but it it it, it, it the highest it got was fiftieth on the that's, hot one. That's a lot. That's pretty high. I mean, that's. I mean, there's forty nine other ones that were bigger. <laughs> I mean, I would. It, I know, but it would not. It's, it would not make top forty radio. Um, okay, no. so, I agree. Okay, so, okay, I'll I'll agree. It's not a hit, but it so also it, wasn't a wasn't a bomb either. So it is. It is called "Time for Miracles." Uh, it is a. It was sung by Adam Lambert, who started it's on a Amer- pro life song. He, st- <laughs> it's a sequel to the Christmas Shoes. Oh uh, no. Um. Adam Lambert uh, started on American Idol. Uh, he's very kind of glam rock. Uh, I mean, his thing now is he is the 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 living dead version of Queen. He's their new lead singer. Yes. Yeah. Also, a fun fact about the song. I don't know if you're gonna get to this. This one might hit Joe right in the right uh, in the gut. I think here. I know what it is, so you can tell it. I, yeah. I saw this. This I song know. was not written. By Adam Lambert. No, it's the Queens of the Stone Age collaborator. Yes. Right? Yeah, there's like two people that used to help like write Queens of the Stone Age songs, which rules. They uh, get that money. Sun. This is on their album Rated PG. Yeah, but they weren't part of Queens of the Stone Age though. I they know. This is the just band. them getting making some side money. Yeah, getting, getting some beer. Yeah. So so it's, so, so it's, where does this is it like? Are there certain categories of power ballad stuff? Are there like? I mean, this is. This Are there is, certain species? <laughs> this is just the kind of the factory, you know, generic power ballad. This isn't an this isn't an auteur power ballad. This no, is your studio system this, factory style. This, turn it this out. This is not a Jim Steinman, if that's what you're. <laughs> yeah. This ain't no Kenny Loggins. Yeah. This okay, and that's why I, you know, as a song itself, I'm like it's pretty unremarkable, and you can tell that they're just like, oh, what what songs do we have sitting around and who's available to sing something? <laughs> and so okay. I, they found that Adam Lambert was available. My other, the other fun fact that uh, will tie into our uh, uh, 2009, the year this was made, the official music video was released through MySpace. Wow. Oh. Old right. Tom. Yep. Tom on MySpace. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it, this was not even uh, nominated for best song that year. It uh, it lost to uh, a song from Crazy Heart. Remember that movie? Oh, the... I do remember that movie. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the Weary Kind from Crazy Heart won that year. The other songs were Take It All from the movie Nine, uh, something I'm not familiar with, Loin de Panam from Paris 36, and then two songs from The Princess and the Frog. Yeah, it's, Princess and the Frog is good. We uh, watched it at your house with my son uh, a couple weeks ago, Duff. Yes, it kept, kept him occupied at 7.30 in the morning. Yes, <laughs> rather than chasing your pets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when the 2010s kick in, I kind of just looked at the, the best song winner each year. Basically, it's Disney movies or Bond movies. Like, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, Bond movies are the only ones still keeping this kind of and thing alive. And that's opening credits, which is, yeah. uh, uh, you know, um, a little different. But I did a quick count, and seven of the, let's see, seven of the, n- how many years have we had? Eight or nine. Uh, but you have, like, Toy Story 3, The Muppets, which is a Disney thing, Frozen, uh, Coco. So those are all Disney mm-hmm. properties. And then you have yeah. Sky- Skyfall and... Uh, uh, Spectre, both one, and then there's a Sam ra- Smith. That was a crossword puzzle answer I had today. Oddly enough, <laughs> must simple name. So <laughs> yes, uh, and then you have La La Land, and uh, there's a song from Selma. I don't remember called Glory, and then Rob, your big song, uh, Shallow. Mm, yep, yep. Uh, before I forget, guys, and I should have done this earlier in the episode, and I'm sorry. I thought when we're talking about different years, we should look at the Google Zeitgeist because I was okay. curious. I don't what know were what the biggest is. stories in 2012 for searches? Okay. 
You ready? These are the top five. This is so great. This uh, is so great. Olympics? Uh, Olympics were number seven. Good guess, though. Um, when did that chimp tear off that lady's face? <laughs> <laughs> what year was that? I think later uh, than this, but I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm gonna go from number five. Actually, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna go the other way. Number one. I hope you could top the chimp because that's. I forgot about that. Number one. Uh, number one. Wait, you're going for number one or number five? Start with We're going five. Going with number one. Start, start with five. Start with five. Start with okay. five, please. Yeah. Start with five. Uh, Jesus, are, is this your first rodeo? <laughs> Come on. These are the internet searches. Number five, Diablo three. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. Oh, All right. Number four, iPad three. The nerds are using the internet in 2012, mm, yeah. guys. Does Diablo three work on iPad three? Yeah. That's the, the <laughs> no. search. The answer is no. Wait, okay. there was uh, uh, there was. A, this is okay. This is the year 2012, not the production year of 2009. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Number three, Hurricane Sandy. Oh uh, uh, yeah. That's number funny. two. This one's gonna ring some bells, Gangnam Style. Oh, oh. it's that old. Wow. And, and number one, the new Tub Girl, Whitney Houston. Oh, jeez, oh, man. <laughs> Come uh, on. That's top funny. <laughs> <laughs> like it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. Uh, yeah. I'll it would be quickly... funnier if I haven't. I'd heard that joke so many times from Rob. Yeah, I, I have. Quickly, uh, top image One Direction. Top athlete Jeremy Lin. Top event mm-hmm. Hurricane Sandy. Number two Kate Middleton pictures released. Oh, oh God. <laughs> We won't elaborate on that. Yeah, people. Uh, Whitney Houston feature films, Hunger Games, uh, shows, BBB twelve. No clue what that is, guys. Big Brother. Oh, that was number ten on oh. searches worldwide. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, performing well, that, artists. That would make sense. Yeah. Whitney Houston. Um, and uh, one other thing, this is very strange. So I'll, I'll, I'll round off the top five for searches. Uh, number ten, BBB twelve. It's Wait, three B's. What is yeah. it? Then? BBB twelve. All three. Big of us Brother Brazil twelve. <laughs> That's. <laughs> um, Come on. Number nine, and I have no idea why this is. Michael Clark Duncan. He died, right? Oh, did he? It must be. I can't think of another reason why Michael. Clark he died Duncan. in 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Big, okay. Yeah. Number eight, Amanda Todd. Who's that? Uh, she is a. It's actually really sad. Um, is she that blonde lady that went overboard in Aruba? No. <laughs> she is a 15-year-old Canadian student who was a victim of cyberbullying and killed herself. Oh, oh I know. Boo. So that's not. That's not fun. Yeah. Uh, Olympics 2012, and then Kate Middleton. So that's sort okay. of 2012. A lot of Kate Middleton comments. <laughs> All right, so. we should we, we should wrap this up. Are we going to do this again in a couple weeks? Should we do yeah. another episode? Yeah, I'm uh, excited. Duff, which I'm movie ex- are we going to talk about? about? We're going to do a good one. movie. We're going to try <laughs> doing a good movie for this season. Yeah, Duff, <laughs> tell us what it is. Uh, it is Back to the Future Two. Yes, which I don't. I I have not seen this in a long time. So this is a movie that is probably up there with the original star wars in terms of number of times i've seen it really so have you seen it more than the first one honestly it's close wow um because we we taped it off like a movie channel or something before we owned the original um the original torrent (laughs) so there are things that don't work in this movie but on the whole i i think it's very very inventive and very clever for us it wasn't a summer movie but it's like a you know a summer franchise type blockbuster um the most interesting thing is and i don't think this is a spoiler but i will say i think that the future stuff is the least interesting um Mm -hmm. because 2015, just to be clear with our our model, 2015 is the year. Because I I remember this is one of those movies I watched with a commentary long ago. And I remember, I think it was either Zemeckis or Bob Gale said, yeah, the only futures that ever are believable are really dark and depressing. So we just decided to have fun. Yeah. Um, So the future stuff, 
is kind of gimmicky and whatnot. But <laughs> ironically, what ended up probably being a more realistic version is the alternate 1985 where Biff runs everything. Yeah. So yeah, and that's kind of why we picked or why we picked it. We're we're thinking of the 2010s. That's the decade of Biffs. The Biffs <laughs> won, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Biff. The Biffs won, and we'll keep winning. And we're also going to talk a lot about uh, 2010s technology. So uh, we're going to kind of think about this film as uh, sort of a a view from the di- the uh, relatively distant past now, the 80s, into what they thought we might have in the 2010s. We'll look at what we actually yeah. got. Did the hover skateboards come around or not? And uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about our favorite movie inventions. And I would assume that both of you would agree that the hover skateboard is one of the coolest things ever. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Is it okay, guys, if I end this episode from a line that was in the book in 2012 that nearly ends the movie? Sure. Okay. And just this morning we worked it out. Somehow we all have relatives in Wisconsin. Yeah, baby. The end. <laughs>